and everybody's getting, getting, you know, all bent out of shape about that one. Okay, this was given to me in October of 2016, on October 16th, in another church in Appomattox, Virginia, far, far away from here. But Appomattox, Virginia, by the way, is where they signed the documents ending the Civil War. In, uh, you know, this prophecy was given two miles away from where General Lee and General Grant sat down way back in 1865 and ended the Civil War. And God said there's significance to where I told you to share what you heard. Okay, here's what he said. Don't be discouraged about the election coming up, says the Lord. Don't be discouraged, he says. I will simply say to you that big surprises are coming. Big surprises are coming to this country. I have my hand, listen to this, I have my hand upon America, and I will not withdraw it. For my people pray and they intercede. They stand in the gap. Don't be worried about the future. Much needs to be accomplished, and I will use this country in greater ways. Surprises, surprises, surprises around the horizon, and it will be good. For my spirit shall prevail. No matter what is done to shut down my word, my word cannot be imprisoned. My word cannot be stopped. As far as the east is from the west and the north is from the south, people will know and there will be, listen to this, a revival that will sweep this country in ways never seen before. This is a great time to represent me. Keep your eyes up. Keep your head lifted up and eyes on the horizon where your redemption draws near, says the Lord. That's a good word. And I was reading this just this afternoon, two hours ago, and God said that applies to these elections coming up like it applied to that election back then. The same surprises are coming along, amen, that only he can orchestrate. Why and when? Because the body of Christ intercedes. We stand in the gap. We make the hedge. We, okay, Fox News, CNN, all of them on one side or the other. Listen, they are not, they're, they're just puppets in the play. The real source of the problem is the spirits controlling such people. Can you say amen? amen. There is where we do battle. We don't do battle out here in the secular. We do battle in the unseen realm in the spirit. That's where we can do damage to the kingdom of darkness that's trying to destroy America. Do you understand that? Do you understand what's going on? God uses nations, and he's promised in the word in many places that, as an example, they who bless Israel will be blessed by me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in the Bible, okay? Nations that bless Israel, God steps in and protects them. Nations that abandon Israel, he withdraws his hand. And I will say this without hesitation, this particular president is the most pro-Israel president I have seen in my lifetime. That's right. That's an objective comment, okay? It is what it is, okay? And that bodes well for this country. That bodes well for this country because he's already got this in the word, you know? Um, let me see if I should do this. I suppose I can. Um, not too long ago, uh, one of uh, someone that I ministered to, someone that I taught in a Bible school, sent me, I'm going to use this bigger, I brought this along just in case I was led to read this, and so it's bigger type. So I can read this thing. Praise the Lord. Okay. I want to read to you a question that was given to me by a very well-meaning, sincere seeker of truth. Okay. 
I don't know his political persuasion, but it was a politically inspired question and one that we need to answer when people ask us questions like this, okay? Um, this is a brother in California. He said to me on Facebook, he asked me a question. He said, hey, pastor, do you have a moment to share scripture in proper context that supports this viewpoint? The viewpoint that I was sharing was a pro-Trump comment of some kind, okay? And so he's, he, he wants to know where I get my scriptures to support such comments, okay? It's a valid question. He says, you were one of my evangelical leadership college teachers, and your viewpoints supporting Donald Trump seemed to contradict the morality and leadership you were teaching then. That's what he says. So he wants an answer. And, uh, you know, it's a very nice, nicely worded, respectful request for some explanation. Fine, I have no problem with that. So I answered a few days later, and this is what I told him. I'll just read it to you. Hello, Brother My Myron. Sure, his name was Myron Anderson. Okay, hello, Brother Myron, sure. I'd be happy to share scripture in the proper context as requested. Although I could share many scriptures to support this viewpoint, I'll just list a few. Starting with Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18, the Great Commission. And then Acts 10, 34, God is no respecter of persons. Then passages like 2 Timothy, such as 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, 2 Timothy 4, chapters, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, and many others. Like them, or many others like them, depicting the slide into sin and moral depravity that we see everywhere now in our country. In short, Myron, the Christian's responsibility, in my opinion, as I read and live the Bible, is to always see what's going on in the secular world with spiritual understanding and perspective and operate above all of it in terms of perspective and priorities. In short, Nothing else matters to God but the saving of lost souls. So nothing else should matter to us as his ambassadors. How many understand we are ambassadors for Christ? Mm -hmm. We represent kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdoms of this world. That's why Jesus came in the first place, to die in our place and pay for our sins, thus giving us the chance to receive a salvation we could never earn or acquire on our own. To that point, I see everything, and I emphasize the word everything, I see everything in the light of the Great Commission, and in that light, in context, God uses nations to carry out his purposes on earth, which in this dispensation of grace means the worldwide spread of the gospel, according to Matthew 24, 14, which says the kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, and then the end shall come. How many would like to see the end come? A few of you. I'd like to see the end come because, I, I, you know, if I have a choice between Norfolk and heaven, what do you think? Gee, let me pray about that one, Jesus. Okay? So I go on. I see no contradictions whatsoever in what I've taught as an apostle of the Lord and my concerns for what's happening in our country. God uses America. It's one of his prime institutions for fulfilling the Great Commission. And there are forces at work to destroy our foundation and the platform used to build this nation from its inception to where it is today the undisputed leader of the free world. All my opinions, my voting decisions, my passion and my perspective all come from a spiritual understanding of what God is using America to do and has used America to do in the business of winning souls and spreading his gospel to the four corners of this planet. This country is under attack, Myron, by forces that are, in my opinion, demonically inspired and controlled. In that sense, this current president 
has made it clear that he's going to do his best to bring this country back from what I consider to be the brink of divine judgment, where the past three or four presidential administrations have taken us. I don't look to just a man, but I look to a bigger spiritual picture. I pray for the protection of America, as described in all of our founding documents written by our founding fathers. I pray for the protection of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights as they're written, not as certain politicians would want to change and reinterpret them. Why pray this way? To keep America strong for the one sole purpose of being God's tool and God's instrument in the saving of souls, period. Where am I? Oh, I live and work for the Lord in the Philippines, Myron, and I have since 1980. I can tell you both from a secular and a spiritual perspective, as America goes, so goes the world. If we go down due to a sea of sin and moral, moral depravity, which we've been well on our way for decades now, so goes the ability to fund the Great Commission in places and countries like the Philippines. People want to gut our Constitution and replace it with a godless, secular, socialist, global, one world of heathenism and anti-Christian sentiment. For me, it's all about souls and always will be. Trump is no different than any other man, including all of his critics that are, yes, driven by hate. And I think it's hate that is demonically inspired. He's not perfect, but neither are you, neither am I, or any of the other rock throwers out there. I'm choosing to see a bigger picture for the preservation of my country, for the protection, for the protected ability in a national sense to fund the Great Commission from a platform of godly blessings upon our country. Because there are clear promises in the Bible informing us that when a country supports Israel, as this president is doing more than any other in my lifetime, and when the citizens of that nation turn back to righteousness, as this president is trying to do in many legislative ways, he pours out his blessings upon the nation. And that is what I'm looking to see. My context is spiritual, not political, not racial, or in any other secular way. I hope this helps. God bless you, my brother. He never answered me, but I got a bunch of people who took it and shared it. They asked for permission to share it all over the place, and they did. Point is, our responsibility, brethren, is to see the world through spiritual eyes, not political eyes, not racial eyes, not any other eyes. God is no respecter of persons. If he isn't, we shouldn't be either. Amen? So I pray that way, okay? May his will be done for this country. See, if one political party is doing more to fund the Great Commission with the legislation they pass, I'm all for it. If the other one isn't, I'm against them. Not because of I, I, I'm one or the other. It's because of the Great Commission. Who's passing laws that allow me the ability to operate from a strong economic base to spread the gospel around the world? Because guess what? The gospel requires money. Amen? How many remember the 2008 recession? The Great Recession. You know how many churches canceled our meetings because they had no money? You know how many churches, how many pastors laid off staff because they had no money to pay the staff because the income dried up? I mean, it was a difficult time spiritually. Spiritually, it affected what we do in the Philippines because all the support went south, okay? If you see things from the perspective of the Great Commission, then decisions of who we support, who we vote for, who, how we get involved, those decisions become to me very clear, very easy, okay? Now, if you disagree, we disagree amicably, okay? But 
If, if people are passing laws that celebrate sin, promote sin, celebrate abortion, which, by the way, is murder as far as God's concerned, when they put big billboards up there and say, celebrate your abortion, which particular people have done, if I, if I told you who it was, you'd know who this is, you know, celebrate your abortion, ladies. I don't celebrate abortion. I stand against that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm sorry if someone's politically offended by that. That's your problem. That's not my problem. I'm going to stand before the Lord and answer to him. I'm not answering to the now group or the ACLU or all these. All these I'm answering to God. Amen. So are you. Amen. So if we lose some friends along the way, if we get persecuted, Jesus says, yeah, hey, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Didn't he? The servant is not above his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. See, yeah, that's what he said. So, you know, again, if you stay in the realm where we have the advantage, we have the advantage. Stay in the spirit realm and see things from that perspective. Don't get sucked into this, this shouting match, all this noise out there. Okay, don't get sucked into that. Stay above it all. And remember, I am here to fulfill the great commission in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can anyone say amen? Amen. Amen. Remember, he saved you when you were a mess. He saved me when I was a mess. He didn't say, well, you're not of the political persuasion that I like, so I'm not going to bother with you. He just reaches out and helps people and blesses people, and then he works to clean up their life after they accept Jesus, not before. After, not before. Amen. So I hope that helps. Does that help anybody? You know, it does for me. It helps me with clarity. Because like you, I'm tempted to be angry with people that are legislating sin. Hmm? I get righteously indignant. I don't like it. Okay, so I have to back up and remember, my fight is not with them. My fight is with the spirits controlling them. There is where I do battle. I do battle in the shadows where they can't go. We do battle in the shadows where they can't go. But we can go there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Intercede and pray for your country. Pray for America because God uses America. Amen? He has all over the world. Just ask any missionary, okay? Ask any missionary out there doing work for the Lord. As America goes, so goes the world. I can tell you by experience. Amen. I'm for a strong country so that we can fund the Great Commission. That's it. I want a great country, a strong country, so that we can fund the Great Commission. Not just so that more people can get jobs. What happens when they get more jobs? They get more money. They can give more. You can't give what you don't have. Is that, is that not true? Right. If you lose your job, you can't give because you don't have anything to give with. Okay? Praise the Lord. I want a strong country. Amen? And those that are legislating to get it, I'm all for it. And I'll stand in faith for that. Amen? Amen. Knowing that at the end of the day, my job is spiritual, not secular, and so is yours. Amen? Praise the Lord. And, you know, if you preach that way in some churches, they'll throw you out on your ear. That's their problem, not my problem. They'll answer to God for that, too. Thanks. Sure appreciate that. Praise the Lord. Amen. Pray for your country. Pray for your country. Amen? Because if you don't, who will? Every day I pray for my president. Now, by the way, I prayed for the other president before him too, and I didn't like anything about the guy, but I prayed because the Bible says pray for people in authority. Amen? Mm-hmm. See, see beyond the guy or the party 
or the political maneuvering. See beyond all of it. Live above it. Operate above it. Amen. I pray every day for this country and for this president and for his administration that we will continue to grow and be stronger to fulfill and fund the Great Commission like never before. Amen. And as God said in that uh, message he shared with me, there's going to be revival in this country, the likes of which we've never seen before. Amen. And it's going to be exciting to be a part of it should Jesus tarry. Amen. All right. I'm going to have your Bibles or Bible app, whichever you brought tonight. Look with me at Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. What in the world just happened to my app? Okay. Okay. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? That is a marvelous question. And, and to be honest, I, I have yet to wrap my head around the depth of that. Thinking how or why would God choose... I mean, he didn't have to do it this way, but he chose to limit his activity on this planet to partnership with people like you and me. With all of our problems, issues, struggles, imperfections, idiosyncrasies, quirkiness, all of it, you know, he chooses to limit himself to partnership with us in the business of going in his name. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? This is a call to arms. This is a clarion call for troops to report for duty. Who will go for us? Notice us. This is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit actually having a meeting. They're talking amongst themselves. Who shall I send and who will go for us? The Father says to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And look, the answer, the prophet replies, there, or I should say, then I said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Or if I may paraphrase, here am I, I am available. You can count on me. When I got saved, as I said earlier uh, today, I got saved on September 21st, 1978. So this past September 21st, 2018, marked my 40th year of being a Christian in the Army of the Lord, 40 years to the day. Now it's 40 years plus maybe nine days, I guess, eight, eight or nine days. I told the Lord on that day, sitting on a park bench in Toledo, Ohio at 1.30 in the afternoon after reading a little mini-book by a man named Kenneth Hagen at lunchtime on my lunch hour. Convicted of my sins, I was a good Catholic person. Went to Mass every Sunday, you know, did all that stuff. But I wasn't born again. And I read his book and was convicted of my hypocrisy and my sins. And I took the book, canceled my afternoon appointments, and went down to a little park bench along the Maumee River. It's an Indian name, Maumee River in downtown Toledo, Ohio, right by the base of the big high-rise corporation that I worked for at the time, Owens Corning Fiberglass. I took the book, reread the book. You know, it's a little mini book. You can read it in 15, 20 minutes. Reread it and followed the four steps in the book, you know. Realize you can't save yourself. Acknowledge your sins, you know. Repent and receive your forgiveness and then tell somebody about it. There's four simple steps in the book. It saved me. I read it, reread it, and did it. Okay, And I told the Lord on that day, that afternoon, I said, one thing I can tell you today, I am not a perfect person. I'm going to be struggling along in life just like everybody else. I'm a work in progress, but you can count on me to be at the finish line when this finish line comes. 
whenever whenever I leave this planet, either you come back and I'm still here or I die and I go to be with you, whatever takes place first, you can count on me. I will be there at the finish line. And I have held true to that to that promise and will until Jesus returns or I go home to be with him, whichever event precedes the other, because he needs us. I mean, you know, well, God doesn't need anything. Oh, yes, he does. He just said so. Whom shall I send? If he didn't need anybody, why would he ask the question? Whom shall I go? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? If he doesn't need anybody, why is he asking the question? And why does the prophet say, here am I, send me? I mean, if it doesn't make any difference, so what? Okay, but the point is, God needs each and every one of us. All of us are important to him in, these, in the last days push for souls. Okay? And to that end, I want us to turn to Judges chapter 8. I want to read a verse to you here. Judges chapter 8. Judges is a great book, and I would encourage you to read chapters 6, 7, and 8. But we don't have time for that tonight. So I'm just going to read this one verse, and then I'm going to summarize what is being said here, and then let's talk about what the implications are. This would be Judges chapter 8. Okay, if you don't know where Judges is, find like Deuteronomy, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, like that, and then Judges is the next book after Joshua. Okay, Joshua, then Judges. All right, this is Judges chapter 8. When Gideon came to the Jordan, that would be the Jordan River, he said, or he and the 300 men who were with him, they crossed over exhausted but still in pursuit. Please underline that phrase, exhausted but still in pursuit. They were tired. They were exhausted. Why? Because they had just routed an entire invading army numbering 135,000 enemy Midianite soldiers. Uh, you know, like I said, we don't have time to go back and read the three chapters that summarize how we got to this point. But it, to make it short, long story short, there was this invading army that tried to come in, and God chose Gideon to raise up an army to defend the nation from this invading horde of Midianites. And if you read farther on in the chapter, you'll discover that the number of people invading was 135,000 enemy troops, 135,000 soldiers. And God called Gideon to defend the nation. So he, he put out the call to arms, you know, all able-bodied men who are willing to fight report for duty. Put out the call, 32,000 soldiers report, reported for duty, for duty. 32,000 reported for duty. And God told Gideon, this is back in chapter 6, God told Gideon, there's too many here. I don't need this many to get my glory here. Send them away. Send some of them away. So Gideon says, how? And God says, well, first of all, ask them if they're afraid to fight. Anybody who's afraid to fight, go home. We don't need you. We can't use you. So he asked, how many of you people here that have reported for duty are afraid to fight the enemy? You're afraid you're going to be killed. Raise your hand. 22,000 people raised their hand. And Gideon said, go home. He stood there and watched 22,000 soldiers leave. Then God says, as if that's not shocking enough, then God says, there's still too many. So you need to weed them out one more time. Here's what I want you to do. You take the 10,000 remaining people down to the river, and you observe how they drink. Watch. And I'll separate them for you. The people who get down on all fours like a dog and lap the water like a dog would, mark them and set them aside. The people who get down crouching and looking up while they're drinking, keeping their eyes on the horizon, 
you separate them. So he did. And the ones that were watching while they were drinking in a crouched position, in a defensive position, numbered 300. 9,700 other soldiers got down on all fours like a dog, lapped, and God said, I can't use them, send them home. So he watches 9,700 more people leave. So he's left with 300, facing an army of 135,000 enemy soldiers. If I'm Gideon, I'm looking for a clean pair of shorts right about now. I mean, it just doesn't look real good here in the natural. But Gideon, God says, don't worry about it. Do what I tell you to do, and you'll get the victory. So he does, you know. They have the torches and the lantern and the lights and the trumpet. No spear, no javelin, no bow and arrow, no shield. Trumpets and a little, you know, vessel, a clay vessel that he had put a lamps in there and a, and a thing to break it, you know. And so he, he splits up his 300 into groups of 100, three groups of 100. They surround the enemy camp at night. And they waited for the changing of the guard. And at the changing of the guard, they were told to shout the sword of the Lord and Gideon and crack the pitchers and light them and blow the trumpet and shout and scream the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And they did it. It created such panic in the dark that the enemy killed themselves off. 120,000 enemy soldiers killed each other in the dark. You can imagine the slaughter on the battlefield. 120,000 dead bodies. Blood, teeth, guts, and eyeballs everywhere in the dark. And there's 15,000 stragglers now running home in sheer panic. They still don't know what's going on. They're still disoriented. They're in full retreat. And Gideon, with his 300 men, are in pursuit. I don't know what they plan to do with trumpets. Were they going to blow the trumpet and, you know, play some Herb Albert old songs or something? How do I know? You know, the point is, you know, <laughs> they got the trumpets and they're chasing them down. I mean, in the natural, it's still ridiculous. 15,000 against 300? But the enemy's in full retreat. Now they're chasing them down, as we read here in the 8th chapter, and they're after specifically two, con two Midianite kings named Zeba and Zamuna. They're after these two guys and the soldiers that are following after them. So they're chasing them down. Now this is already, this is all in the middle of the night. So these guys are tired, okay? And the Bible says they were exhausted but still in pursuit, Okay? They wouldn't quit. Why? Because they knew they had the enemy on the run. They had the enemy where they needed them to be, and they didn't want the enemy to get away. Exhausted. Here's my point. I have been here in the body of Christ long enough to see what spiritual exhaustion does to people who don't take the time to build themselves up in the spirit, who don't take the time to do what we talked about earlier today, which is to feed upon the word of God, feeding on his faithfulness, feeding on the word of God, to, to remain spiritually sharp and spiritually strong for the long race ahead. Lots of empty chairs where people used to be all on fire for Jesus, and now where'd they go? Where have they been? Where have they gone? They're lost. They're out there back in the bar, back viewing the pornography, back doing whatever it was they got set free from. What happened to these people? They didn't plan on doing this. They didn't wake up one day and say, you know, honey, I think I'm going to backslide today. How about you? I'm feeling kind of backslidden today. I think I'm going to go all the way. You know, I mean, when they, when they gave their heart to the Lord, they gave their life. They thought they gave their life to the Lord. At least that's what they anticipated. But it didn't turn out that way because they got burned out. They got offended. They became exhausted, tired to pray, tired to intercede, tired to read their Bible. And over time, it got them to a place where they were vulnerable and they made the decision to fall away. They didn't just fall away. They made a decision to fall away. 
Pastors made decisions to quit their church and give up and go back into the world. Missionaries made decisions to quit and come on off the field because things weren't working out the way that they thought. I've seen it happen many times. Many times. The title for tonight's message, if you wished to title it, would be uh, um, Exhausted Pursuit. We are going to finish the job we started to run when we got saved. There will be temptations to be exhausted, just like with everybody else. But we will work through these moments of exhaustion, and we will continue the pursuit of souls. Amen. We will not deter. We will not be deterred. We will not be distracted. We will not be discouraged. We will not stop putting pressure on the enemy. We will continue to drive him back until he is finished and his efforts to, to, to damn souls has been diminished to the place where we've done our part as ambassadors for Christ. That's our job. That's why we're here. And it's very, very important that you and I see things from that perspective so that we can continue to stay in the game. Okay? It's very, 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 you know, listen. Let me back up and say it this way. Let God's grace do in your life what it's designed to do. Okay? If you try to do this in the own arm of your flesh, passion for Jesus, you'll fail. You'll falter. There's just too many opportunities to quit and give up. Are you listening? Why? Because we're, f- we're surrounded by imperfect people, many of them Christians, but still imperfect people. They lie. They cheat. They backbite. They gossip. They do all kinds of things that offend us and hurt us and take advantage of us. Has anybody ever had that happen to them? Or am I the only one? Point being, if you are wearing your feelings out on your shirt sleeves, the devil will pick you apart person by person, idiot by idiot. They are out there, okay? And in order for me to run the race and finish the race, I have to be so focused upon what I'm here to do, I don't care what people are trying to do to derail my efforts for Jesus. And I'm going to finish the race I started to run like I told the Lord those many, many years ago, okay? Um. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says this, we are what we are by the grace of God. Amen? You are, you, you are what you are by the grace of God. You're nobody special outside Jesus, and neither am I. The Bible says, in him we live and move and have our being. Okay? It's his grace that empowers me, not my ability. It's his grace working in me. And the same holds true for you. So if that's the case, if we are what we are by the grace of God, let's just relax and let the grace of God do what it's designed to do. Amen? Praise the Lord. And let God work in us the way he wants to. And we get to go along for the ride because he wants to use us. But it's not our ability. It's his ability working through us that keeps us on the straight and narrow pathway, that keeps us moving forward under fire, hit, wounded, bleeding as we may be. But that's, you know, that's the way life is down here on planet Earth with old split foot roaming around, deceiving and damning souls left and right. He's still here. Okay. But we have the authority to shut him down and to shut down his operations. Amen. You know, there are examples here. You know, uh, we need to outrun Ahab's chariot. Remember that story in the Old, you know, Old Testament, 1 Kings 18? You know, the prophet outran the chariot. The chariot had a horse. You know, the chariot was being pulled by a horse, the king's chariot. The, the prophet, the Bible says, girded up his loins and outran the chariot back to the palace. You know, if I'm riding the chariot, I'm thinking, what in the world? You know, you see this cloud of dust coming behind you, and it's the prophet whizzing by on foot, you know. 
the anointing of God, the grace of God. David, in Psalms 18, he says, you know, by the grace of God, I can run through a troop and I can leap over a wall. And then later on, a few verses later, he praises the Lord because he's been taught warfare. He's been taught how to engage the enemy in warfare. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, all those heroes of faith. Read about those people. They endured great suffering, great testings and trials, and did not withdraw, did not back away, did not turn away. And then there was Jesus telling Paul in Acts chapter 9, he says to Paul, he says to Ananias, you go to the house where this man Paul is, he's having a vision, he sees a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hands on him and laying his hands on him and saying, you know, this, this, and this, and this, you know, and Jesus says to Ananias, and I will show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, we may suffer some things in this life, but we are not going to quit. And we may be exhausted, and we may be standing in faith for a healing that may take years to manifest. Okay, it may take years, but we may be exhausted, but we are still in pursuit. We're still in pursuit of those promises that we're holding on to by faith. If it's sickness, we're standing in faith for the promise for healing. We're pursuing that. It's a manifested promise that we will hold on to and never let go of. Amen. Look with me at Matthew chapter number 11, verse 28. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is the speaker. This is a familiar passage. I'm sure you know this one when we start to read it. Matthew eleven twenty eight. it says, Come to me, this is Jesus speaking, Come to me, all you who, what? Labor and are heavy laden, burdened down, beat down, crushed, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, this would be verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hmm, okay. So it's supposed to be an easy yoke and a light burden. Okay, and we should find rest for our souls. But that doesn't mean our life is just a bed of roses. Oh, no. There's a lot of verses to the contrary. Because, you know, we need to understand that in these last days we will be tempted to be exhausted and the pressure to quit will be upon us like never before. We are going to experience persecution in this country the likes of which we've never seen to Jesus' terror. You better be ready to stand your ground. I told my staff overseas a couple years ago when we were talking about things like this because I could see the storm coming and I can see the clouds building. And I told my staff, I said, I want you to prepare for the worst should Jesus tarry. If he comes and we go home, wonderful. But if he doesn't and we live out our lives, the full length of our life down here, there will come a time as things are now heading in the direction the world is going where preaching the gospel like we preach it today will be called a crime punishable by imprisonment. And you better be ready for that. You better prepare your hearts to go to jail for the message that we preach today, free as we do now, but there may come a time when you are arrested for preaching this, as it is already in many countries of the world. Would you not agree? In many countries of the world, people are in jail tonight for preaching a message like this. They just throw them in jail or kill them. And so I told my staff, I said, listen, your leader, me, I'm telling you straight up, if I have to go to jail for the message I preach, 
I'm going to jail for the message I preach because I am not going to compromise this message one jot or tittle to save my soul from whatever they may threaten me with. I'm telling you straight up, staff. So if I go to jail, I'm going to jail. But I better see you in the jail cell next to me. Because if I don't see you there, you're fired. I'll find somebody else to be my staff member. It won't be you. Amen. If I'm going, you're going. Because if I don't compromise, I don't expect you to compromise either. Amen? Pursuit. This is what we face. So, Jesus said, take my yoke and learn from me. So, you know what? Would you agree with me that the devil attacked Jesus more intensely and with more fervor and passion than anyone else knowing who he was? He was the son of God. Jesus identified himself as such. The devil tried, you know, took him up on a pinnacle of a temple and took him up to the top of a mountain. I mean, he tried his best to get Jesus to commit sin, which I find amazing. 33 and a third years on this planet, never made one mistake, never committed one sin. Amazing. Considering the pressure he was under, if you wish to call it pressure, of saving the human race. You know, if he had committed sin, we're all doomed to hell. If he had committed one sin, and he had the, he had the capacity to s commit sin, he was tempted. He was tempted in all points. It's not a temptation unless there's the possibility for failure. Amen? If you can't fail, there's no temptation. The temptation was to forsake God and fail and commit sin. He was tempted in all points and never once committed a sin. 33 and a third years on this planet with the devil after him, tooth and toenail, every step of the way. How did he do this? He said, learn from me. So how do we learn from him? How do we finish the race we start to run without caving in to the pressure to compromise, renounce our faith, become ashamed of the gospel, you know, avoid imprisonment and whatever else people are threatening to do? Here's how. There's three ways. Three ways I'll share with you tonight. And each of these is a message in and of itself. We don't have time for that, but I'll just give them to you quickly and a verse or two to support each point. Number one, if you want to finish this race and beat the temptation for spiritual exhaustion, number one, get with God. Spend more time with him. Psalm 1611 says this, in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy and nehemiah says the joy of the lord is our strength hmm so if i'm in the presence of the lord the joy that comes with that produces the strength i need to keep going in the presence of the lord the the bottom line most christians don't have time for the presence of the lord they're too busy with other things they don't spend time in the presence of the lord they spend time in the presence of their cell phone in the presence of social media, in the presence of their job or whatever they're doing, okay? But they don't spend time in the presence of the Lord, and that's why they're spiritually anemic and spiritually weak and can so easily be pushed around by the enemy, okay? What does Isaiah chapter 40 say, okay? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Waiting upon the Lord. How many do that? Not that many. Very few wait upon the Lord. Spending time in the presence of the Lord. That's one of the ways that you get with God. Here's another one. Praying in tongues. How many here are spirit-filled and pray in tongues? How often do you pray in tongues? Should be every day. Should be every day. 
I try to pray in tongues at least 30 minutes every day. I'm not always successful because of travel and other things that are beyond my control. But as much as I can, I devote at least 30 minutes of time to praying in the Spirit every day just to keep my spirit man sharp so I can hear the voice of the Lord when he speaks to me. Amen? All right, see. The Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're charging your battery. Jude chapter 1, or Jude the last chapter, take your pick. Verse 26 says that when you pray in tongues, you edify or build up yourself. You actually, in the Greek, the word is charge. You charge your batteries. Like you charge the batteries of your cell phone because you keep using it and the battery level goes down. You can build up your spirit, man, by praying in tongues. Okay, Isaiah says this is the refreshing. It refreshes you spiritually. So if you are spirit-filled and do pray in tongues, do it more often. And get into the presence of the Lord and just bask in his presence. Well, I don't feel like it. Put your hands up in the air. It's called the sacrifice of praise. You do it not because you feel like doing it. You do it because it's the right thing to do. Because the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. Okay? It doesn't say he inhabits the complaining of his people, the mumbling of his people, the murmuring of his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. I'm sure we've got all kinds of things to mumble about and grumble about. But again, the mumbling and the grumbling doesn't change anything we mumble and grumble about. I know. I, grumb, I grumble about the, the drivers I have to encounter on the highway every day. It doesn't change them. It just ruins my day. Amen? Am I the only one that drives aggressively and gets behind, you know, Randy Recreational Vehicle and Bobby Boat? And, you know, all these people that are going somewhere at 25 miles an hour and I got to be somewhere. Am I the only guy, you know, it's a two-lane road for like 80 miles? Ugh. Anyway, the more you get with God, the better you are dealing with such situations. Amen. That's what. Number one, get with God. Spend more time with him. Hmm? Number two, get with people of like precious Get with people who are sold out to God like you or more than you, okay? Like precious faith, or we could say like precious passion. Ask yourself tonight, friends, who are your friends? Who are your friends, okay? They should be people who have an equal level of passion and dedication to the Lord, at least equal to yours, not lower than yours. You can be friendly with people, and in terms of outreach, you can reach people at all levels of faith and maturity. I understand that. I got that. We reach out to people who are struggling and newborn babes. I understand all that. But for you, who do you turn to, close friends in your life, when your back is up against the wall, when you've just been told by the doctor we found something in your body we cannot cure and you've got six months to live? Who do you turn to? Who do you go to? Who are your friends? They better be people who will go to hell and back with you. They better be people who, as an example, if, someone, if some doctor reads you the riot act and says you're a dead man walking, they will stand with you and say, oh, no, no, no. The Bible says by the stripes of Jesus you were healed. We'll stand with you. We will not renege. We'll continue to confess no matter what the reports tell us, no matter what the doctor tells you, we'll stand with you. Those are the friends you need. Can anyone say amen? Amen. Now, you can be friendly with everybody in the body of Christ and even friendly with people out in the world. But if these are not people who can stand with you when, the, when, the, in, when, the, you know, when your back is up against the wall, you're facing Mission Impossible, okay, 
these are the people you need to be with. And if they're not, you need to dump them, love them, dump them, and move on in love, of course. But get rid of them. You know, when I'm standing in faith for money, I don't need some doubting Thomas. I don't need Job's comforters to come along and tell me, you just never know what God's going to do. I know what God's going to do. I can read it. Here. Amen. And like I said, truth doesn't change. Maybe you change, but I and his word don't. So goodbye. God bless. See you later. I, you know, I don't need you to be a friend in my life at this time. Maybe someday when you get your act together, come on back and we'll talk. But until then, I need to be around people of like precious faith, people who are just as radical as me or more so to get me through the, the, the attacks that I may be facing. What, when that happens, it creates synergy. Does everyone understand the difference between energy and synergy? Energy is just what you can produce on your own. Synergy is you working with others to do far more than the, the two of you could on your own. Okay, that's why Deuteronomy 32.30 says one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000, not 2,000. If it was energy, it would be one puts a thousand to flight, two, 2,000, if it's just energy we're talking about. But I'm talking about synergy. That's where one puts a thousand, but two puts 10,000. Because synergy is the, is the sum total of what two people can do better than they could ever individually. And when you get together, Jesus said, if two of you Agree on earth as touching anything they ask, it shall be done for them. If two of you agree, amen, find the people to agree with you when your back is up against the wall and you're facing mission impossible, whatever that may be. And then number three, get with yourself. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Be like David. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 30. And we'll use this as our closing passage. 1 Samuel. Chapter 30, verse 6. Now, let's begin with verse, verse number 1, okay? 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. Get with yourself, okay? And here's an example of that. Verse 1. Now, it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and attacked it and burned it with fire <coughs> and had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great. They didn't kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. So verse 3, David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. So verse 4, then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and cried until they had no more power to cry. And David's two wives, I can't pronounce their names, there, but they're there, uh, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. So verse 6, listen to this. Now David was greatly distressed. Why? Because he lost his two wives and his house was burned down? No. David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. They blamed him for this. You know, if we hadn't been out on military operations with you, we would have been here to defend our homes. Now look at Our homes burned to the ground. My, our, our family is taken captive. We don't know where they are. It's all your fault. Pick, let's, let's get rid of this guy. They, we're going to pick up stones and throw at David. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. Yeah, okay, I got it. There's, you know, they're distraught, distressed. But they're going to take it out on David. It's not his fault. But notice at the end of verse 6, David strengthened himself 
in the Lord. David strengthened himself. He didn't wait for someone else to do it. He did it to himself. Your free will is the greatest weapon you'll ever get from God. You can choose to be on fire for the Lord. You can choose to be lukewarm. You can choose to be offended. Or you can choose not to be offended. You can choose to uh, channel all your anger in a secular sense, the people that the anger won't make any difference for, just wreck your life. Or you can choose to focus all of your attention into the spirit realm and do your battle there. It's all a matter of choice, okay? And you can choose to be distressed or you can choose to encourage yourself, okay? Don't wait for other people to do it. If you need it, do it for yourself. Get in your car, go somewhere, roll up the windows or power them up and sit there and scream away and vent until you get what needs to be expressed out of your heart. Let the devil know what's going to happen. I tell him frequently, okay, I'm going to punish you for what you're trying to do to my family. I'm going to punish you. You know, it's like what Jesus did. I mentioned this to Pastor Mike on our way over here. When Jesus heard that John the Baptist had had his head cut off. Now, remember, John and Jesus were cousins. They were cousins. They were family, okay? And, you know, John baptized Jesus and said, you know, that's when the Holy Spirit came down and the voice from heaven and all that. That was John baptizing Jesus. They were close. And then John got, you know, the story. He got arrested because of his, he was proclaiming to Herod that, you know, you're living in sin with this woman that's not your wife, blah, blah. Okay, so he was imprisoned. And then, you know, Herodias and the daughter, the daughter danced. And Herodias, you know, uh, asked for the head of John the Baptist. And so Herod backed himself into a corner because he made this promise in front of everybody. You know, I'll give you up to half the kingdom because I like the way you dance. And so the mother nudges the daughter and says, ask him for the head of John the Baptist. And so he had no choice, but had to do it. So he sent the guards to the jail and cut off John's head. And then the Bible says the disciples went and told Jesus. Now you can imagine, Jesus, you know, the Bible says he heard it and withdrew into the wilderness by himself. What's he doing? He's controlling his anger. He's getting it under, pers under control. He's, he's regaining perspective because he was tempted in all points like we were. He's tempted to be angry, tempted to be upset tempted to seek revenge this was his cousin that just got his head cut off how would you respond if someone you loved in your family had their head cut off i'm just saying <laughs> what did he do he goes out he sees all the people he starts healing the sick there's how he retaliated he went into the spirit realm and did damage there to the enemy who really was responsible for cutting off his cousin's head the devil he went out there and started healing people he kept the energy where it needed to be in the spirit realm, going after the source of the problem, okay? And this is how you encourage yourself. Go after the source of the problem. Tell the devil what's going to happen. You're going to punish him and make him pay for coming against your family. You know, when you're exhausted, lift your hands. It's the sacrifice of praise. Don't let that exhaustion cause you to quit or give up and fall away and disappear from church. Amen. There's a bunch of empty chairs here. Pastor can tell you there used to be people sitting in these chairs. Where are they now? It's one thing to be transferred away because of business or something. It's something else altogether just to fall away, and you're not in church because you're not walking with God anymore. At some point, something happened there that should never have happened. But unless you do the things we're talking about here tonight, you're a good candidate for spiritual burnout, exhausted, and no longer in pursuit. Amen? So let's make sure that we finish the race stronger than when we started. Okay, and if you need any incentive, remind yourself of what's at stake, eternity.
remind yourself of what we're fighting for here, the souls of men. You know, this is not for land. It's not for political power. It's for eternity. People who die lost, they die lost and they're gone. Every one of them, forever. I tell people, you know, you need, you really need to meditate on the word eternity. Because I'm, I'm convinced, I'm persuaded most Christians have never really uh, tried to understand the concept of having no end. No end. Okay, in heaven, I mean, that's spectacular to be with God forever. Think about that, the joy of it. But on the other side of that coin, think about the people lost. And they will never, ever get out. I mean, that to me is like, wow. That's why I do what I do. That's why I'll do what I'll do until Jesus comes. But it's amazing to me how so few Christians have a clue when it comes to these things. It's all about them. I don't understand. I don't really know why they keep coming to church. If it's all about you and your problems, what, what are we doing here? Let's keep pressing the interests of the kingdom of God. Let's keep pushing the forces of darkness back. Amen? Let's keep tormenting the devil and giving God glory simultaneously. Let's not become exhausted with all the praying. I'm so tired. I just can't take it anymore. Man, let me tell you, if I ever get someone in my counseling sessions that starts talking that way, I pull out the old slap-a-meter. You know, listen, don't talk to me about how difficult your life is. My God, we're fighting for souls here. Yeah, maybe you're exhausted, but come on. I'll stand with you. Lift up your hands. We'll start singing praises to the Lord. He exalts, you know, I mean, we exalt him, and he inhabits the praises of his people. Come on. Come on. Otherwise, if it's too hard for you, we'll just pray and believe that you die. Go home. Get out of the way. In Jesus' name. You're just dead wood. I don't need to carry you around on my back for the next 15 years while you complain about every little thing that bothers you. We need soldiers on the front line who know how to fire their weapon. Amen. Not wallow in the foxhole, you know, berating their wounds. We don't need any of that. Go back to the mash tent and disappear, will you? We need to keep moving forward. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, praise the Lord for this little spiritual pep talk here tonight. Praise God. Amen. God needs all hands on deck. He's looking for you. Amen. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? How will you answer? Because that question is applied to every Christian. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Well, we live in Norfolk. So what? Some of the greatest soul winners have come out of little tiny towns like Norfolk. Amen. God doesn't need, you know, some big metropolis somewhere to find someone he can use. Praise Jesus. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to stay spiritually sharp for the long haul, to stay in the race, to stay out there on the front lines firing away. Thank you, Heavenly Father. When we're exhausted, help us to rise up to the challenge and to the temptation to quit or to give up or to compromise or to, you know, become ashamed for who we represent and the message we share. Help us, Lord, to rise above it all in these last days in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple things now. First of all, again, I don't do services without giving people a chance to get, turn, their, turn their life around. 